Mark chapter one. You guys doing good this morning? Four of you, awesome. Okay, Mark chapter one. Hey, I want us to, to really uh, press in this morning on, on what it looks like for us to be a community of people that, that actually hears from God. That doesn't just think about God, that doesn't just talk about God, that doesn't just study God, but a group of people that are in relationship with the living God that actually hears them. I remember six years ago, I was invited to speak to this youth conference uh, out in Arkansas. You, you know, I was called by God if I went to Arkansas. Nobody goes there on purpose, but um, called by God to Arkansas to speak to this youth conference and great group of students, you know, probably 1,500, 1,600 students from all over the state, from great churches. And they'd asked me to come speak on how do we tune our hearts, how do we tune our ears into the voice of God. And I was so pumped about getting to share. So I, I taught on Friday night, Saturday morning I got up to speak. And right before I got up to speak, I just sensed that the Holy Spirit put a really simple kind of pair of questions on my heart to, to put in front of those kids. And I'll never forget this, that I stood up, I hadn't really even thought through how I expected people to respond to the questions, but the first question was this, I said, how many of you believe that the devil actively speaks to humanity? I said, how many of you believe that he works through the media, through your friends, through your thoughts, through your dreams? Like, how many of you believe the devil still speaks? And I kid you not, I don't know what I expected. It was like 1,500 hands, as fast as they could raise their hands, just shot into the sky. It's like they were having a competition to see if they could throw their arm out of socket. I mean, it was like, just all across this auditorium, hands shot up. And in fact, it was almost arresting. Like, you'd see like, man, okay, all of... These kids have had some experience with spiritual warfare. They, they, they believe in this. And then the, the second question, once again, I hadn't really like thought this through a whole lot. I just felt like God had put it on my heart. The second question um, was a diff different but similar. I said, how many of you believe that your heavenly father still actively speaks to humanity? And guys, the, the difference in those teenagers' response to those two questions, it was palpable. When I asked if they believed the devil spoke, I mean, it's like uh, just hands, bam. When I said, how many of you believe God is actively communicating? You could feel the uncertainty in the room. Very few hands shot up. A few hands shot up after they looked around at their neighbors or their friends. But there was this collective sense of like, ah, we, we don't know. And it was this heartbreaking moment because I thought, oh my goodness, we have the next generation of Jesus followers who are raising up with this demonic theology in their heart. They are convinced that the devil is a better communicator than their heavenly father. They've been conditioned to believe that the enemy is more interested in speaking to them than their heavenly father. And what I've learned in those six years since is that it was not just confined to Arkansas or to teenagers, that this is true across the, the, the landscape of the American church. In 2018, there's a Pew Research study that was done with thousands of American uh, adults, born again, followers of Jesus, and they asked them the simple question, how many of you, be uh, do you believe that God still speaks? And out of all those surveyed, less than 40%, less than four out of 10. That means the majority of Jesus followers walking around the United States or walking around with this belief that God has no interest in communicating with them whatsoever. So it's just like, hey, good luck. I hope you make it. It'd be like you showing up at my house this week and talking to my three boys and it's like, hey, did your dad ever talk to you? Two of them are like, never, and we don't expect it. And one of them's like, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. 
I go, this is an issue. It's a problem. I go, how do we get here? I, th- I think we got here in a lot of ways. I think we get here sometimes through bad teaching. You know, some of you grew up and, and people just taught the scriptures in such a way they said, hey, once, once the Bible was done being written, God has nothing else to communicate. Sometimes it's bad teaching. Sometimes it's a lack of discipleship. You didn't have anybody who, in a way that was uh, healthy and mature, going, hey, here's how God communicates through the scriptures and by the spirit in community. Here's what it looks like. Uh, for some of you, you become imprisoned to your own experiences. You know, we live in a culture where experience is deified for so many of us, and you tend to believe in things that you've experienced, and you tend to doubt things that you haven't experienced. And so for some of you, your ex- bad experiences or your lack of experiences have turned you off to listening actively to the voice of God. But it's this kind of fourth piece that this morning I want us to press into. It's, it's not just teaching. It's not just lack of discipleship. It's not just your experiences. Uh, this fourth one is just, I think for some of us, the reason we struggle to hear the voice of God in our current moment is because we're just such products of our environment. And our environment is, is so noisy. It is so busy. It is so overstimulated, oversaturated. Um, most of us don't have any space to hear ourselves think, much less to hear the small, still voice of God. And in a world where like every second your mind and your thoughts and your attention is being grabbed by someone or something or some notification, whatever it is, I'm just telling you, it is really hard to hear that gentle voice of Jesus. And this morning, we could go in a couple of directions. We, we could just biblically go, okay, does, does God still speak? And I could stand up here and waterboard you with scriptures on that. You know, I love Job 33, verse 14, where it says, God is constantly speaking, but human beings are rarely perceiving. So we could, we could take our whole time together this morning and go, hey, how does God still communicate? And that's a great sermon for another day. This morning, as we come into the last week of our fast, I actually wanna go in a different direction and not wrestle with if God speaks. I wanna make the assumption that he does And if he does, here's where we're going today. How do we as disciples of Jesus put ourselves in a consistent position to hear his voice again? In other words, how do we begin to escape the noise and other in order for us to hear his voice? How do we escape the noise in order for us to hear the voice? Because hearing the voice of God in all the ways that he communicates, it is so key for us to live as disciples of Jesus in the midst of the moment that we're in. This is true for Jesus. I can give you a bunch of references. I'll just give you one. John chapter 12, verse 49 through 50, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and I love what he says. He goes, guys, everything that you've seen me do is something I've seen my father do and everything that I've said to you is something that he has said to me. In other words, Jesus says, what I'm preaching to you right now, he goes, it's coming from the father to you. He goes, I don't say anything without the Father sharing it with me. Guys, I want you to think about the stunning reality of this. Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, who came to earth to inaugurate the kingdom of God, knew that his life could not be faithful nor fruitful without the voice of God. And he goes, I don't say or do anything without God. And I go, if Jesus needed the voice of God, how come so many American Christians think we're fine without it? It's problematic. (laughs) But it wasn't just for Jesus. Jesus said, hey, this is a mark of you being my disciple. John chapter 10. I love John chapter 10, verse 27. He goes, my sheep, my disciples, my people. He goes, they know my voice and they do what I say. (laughs) They know my voice and they do what I say. Ethos, I just wanna ask us, in the midst of our busy, overrun, overcrowded life. How is your hearing? (laughs) How's your hearing? (laughs) 
And this morning I wanna go, hey Jesus, how do we position ourselves in such a way that we hear your still, small voice again? Or maybe for some of you for the first time. And so there's a lot of ways that we could talk about that this morning, but I wanna hone in on one practice from Jesus's life and it's this practice of solitude. And depending on how you've been wired by God probably depends on how you even hear that word solitude. You know, the, the extroverts in the room, you probably hear that word, and you're like, oh, I hate solitude. Like, I'm like an off-the-chart extrovert. Like, I want to be in big rooms and big parties. I want to shake every hand, kiss every baby. I won't kiss your baby, but like, um, I just love being in, in rooms with lots of people. And a lot of times for extroverts, we hear solitude, and we don't hear something exciting. What we hear is punishment. We hear solitary confinement. You know, it's like... It sounds terrible. In fact, when I was a kid, that's how I got punished. Like I did something bad. It's like, go away, <laughs> like be by yourself. And so for some of you, you're solitude and you go, man, that, that is no bueno. I do not want that. Some of you in the room, maybe you're a little more introverted and you're solitude and you're like, I wish I only lived in solitude. <laughs> in fact, the biggest thing going against you this morning is all the other human beings in this place. <laughs> like, you're like, church would be awesome without all these humans. And so, some of you are feeling that and you're like, yes, finally, the extrovert Dave is gonna teach on solitude. And some of you are like ready to get up here and take the mic and, and do this thing because you love solitude. Some of you here this morning, you're just moms with young kids and you don't know what you are, but you know you need a break. And you're like, solitude sounds great. And we're all across the board. But the reality is whether you, you feel like you're good at this or not, like Jesus's way of solitude is so different than man's way of solitude. And I want to make sure we're just speaking about the same thing because there's a difference between isolation and solitude. I'll just give you two quick definitions. Isolation is being alone. Isolation is being alone. Isolation is what we experience in the pandemic. Isolation breaks you down. Isolation wears you down. In fact, governments use isolation to punish their prisoners of war because the human beings were not created for total isolation. Isolation is being alone. Solitude is being alone with God. See the difference? Fundamentally different things. Isolation is I am by myself. Solitude is I am away from everyone except for God. I am face to face with my maker. I'm with the one who knows my soul, who made my soul, who loves my soul, who's recreating my soul. Solitude is I am in this place of intimacy with God. Isolation breaks you down. Solitude builds you up. It strengthens you. It, it, it repurposes you. It's amazing when it's done in the ways of Jesus, but more significantly with Jesus. I love what Richard Foster, the great patron saint of spiritual disciplines, says about solitude. I just, I'm gonna read a long quote over you. I almost never do this. If you've been around, I almost never read long quotes. Just settle in for a second. Close your eyes, breathe, get some solitude right now. I'm gonna read a quote over you. Don't even follow it on the screen. Take it off the screen, John. Because um, you'll try to read it. I want you to just hear these words. This is, this is from Richard Foster. Close your eyes, don't be too cool. Soak, soak this and listen to this, what he says about solitude. He says, in our day, I believe that God is using the spiritual discipline of solitude as the great liberator of the human soul. Solitude liberates us from all the inane chatter that is so characteristic of our modern life. It liberates us from the ever-present demands that are placed upon us, demands that feel so urgent in the moment but utterly expose themselves as trivial in the long run. 
We are set free from the many false selves that are built up in our lives in order to cope with others' expectations. Solitude empowers us to walk away from all human pretense and manipulation. God uses our experience of solitude to enable us to become who we truly are. We begin slowly at first to just live simply in the presence of God before him. I love this, guys. This is fire. He says, increasingly we come to see everything in the light of eternity as we are in the midst of God's presence and solitude. And as a result, our successes and our failures no longer impress us or oppress us. Solitude roots us in deep abiding hope where we begin to see everything in light of God's overriding goodness, where we're so bathed in his presence and his greatness that we come to see the immense value of our soul and every other human soul. And most of all, in solitude, it's where we come to know the living God. You know, open your eyes, man, that's like, he goes, hey, God's got something for you. He's got something for you in the secret place. And he goes, and this is what you see in the life of Jesus. Mark chapter one, look at verse 29 with me. This is early on in the life of Jesus and his ministry. I want us to just look at the way this practice emerges out of Jesus's life. And I just want us to notice a few simple things about it. It says, as soon as Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus that she was sick. So he went to her, he took her hand and he helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. So I just love imagining this scene. They've had this full day of preaching in the synagogue. They come back to Peter's house. His mom is mother-in-law sick. Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And I, I would just imagine they go out and they start just kind of sharing the word. Man, look what's happened. <laughs> look what's happened. Look what God has done. Verse 32, it says that evening after sunset, people started showing up at the house. They brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That's another sermon for another day, but I want you to just notice this, this moment. All of a sudden there's this impromptu house party at Simon Peter's house, but it's not the kind of party you want. It's all the sick and demon possessed people showing up at your house unexpectedly. And, and it's like, hey, what kind of party? We're gonna throw a rager with all the sickest, craziest people in the city. And, and, and they show up, and what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? It, it, just with compassion, he heals. He drives out the demons. I imagine this goes into the early morning hours. I don't know how long it goes, but I mean, it probably took quite a while. And then at some point, they all crash, and this is probably a small house. You know, they don't all go to their own, like, guest quarters and sleep in their own bed. There's probably sleeping bags on the floor. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, crashing on Peter's couch. I mean, just picture this. Verse 35, this is our anchor verse for the morning. It says, but very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to what? Somebody shouted, off, shouted out, he went off to a? Solitary. Yeah, I should have said shout out two words. Nobody knew what to do there. Solitary or play, solitary place, the rule followers are like, I'm just gonna say one word. <laughs> he said one word here. Solitary place, where he what? Shouted out one word, where he? where he prayed. There we go, where he prayed. He went off to solitary, he got up early in the morning, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. 
So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Look back at verse 35 with me one more time. It says, so very early in the morning, like in the midst of all that was going on, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place, and he prayed. This, this idea of solitude that, that we're wrestling with for just a few minutes, I, I'm telling you, this is, this is not just some Eastern practice. This is not just some new thing that modern people do to wrestle with our overcommitted, busy schedules. This is not just a mindfulness app that you click on to feel a little bit of peace before you go into the board meeting. No, this is fundamentally a way of life that puts you in the presence of the living God so you can hear his voice again. And it's a presence, that, it's, a, it's a practice that flows out of the very rhythm of, of Jesus' life. And there's so much that we can look at. I just want you to notice a couple of things this morning about the way that Jesus practiced solitude. And then I want us to wrestle with the blessing that we experienced there. So just a couple of quick things. And I want you to notice, number one, that for, for Jesus, solitude, it was an intentional practice. It was intentional. He didn't stumble into it. <laughs> He didn't just happen to find it in the midst of everything. It's very early in the morning after a really long night and he knew he had a really long day in front of him. It was something he fought for, something he planned for, something he protected and scrapped for. I mean, it was something significant in the life of Jesus. It was an intentional practice. You don't just stumble into it. Solitude is where you go, hey, okay, Jesus, like I know I need you. And here's, where, here's when, and here's how, and here's where I'm coming to look for you. You see it all throughout his life, this intentionality. Later on in that same quote that I read earlier, I love the way that Foster puts it. He says, you know, there was a moment in human history where one could stumble into solitude more easily. He goes, but now in our current circumstances, solitude is not easily found in our normal day-to-day lives. And I think humanity could collectively go, amen, <laughs> right? Like when's the last time you just went, man, it was just too quiet of a week, <laughs> too quiet of a day. <laughs> Almost never. See, solitude, is, it's found intentionally. Jesus, he, he would go after it. He'd go looking for it. The truth is when we don't plan to meet God in the secret places, we almost never find him in the secret places. It was intentional, but it wasn't just intentional. Second, I want you to notice this in Jesus' life, it was consistent. It was consistent. I love the way that Luke describes it in Luke chapter five, verse 16. He says, Jesus would often withdraw to lonely or solitary places to pray. Luke goes, this was just the practice of his life. In the morning, in the evening, the beginning of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, in the end of his ministry. You remember that moment right before he goes to the garden of Gethsemane? I mean, right before he goes to the cross, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane for what? For a moment of solitude, Jesus goes, I know what I'm facing and I can't face it without a fresh word from God. He goes, I need to meet him in a solitary place. Solitude for Jesus, it was intentional. It was consistent. Number three, it was physical. Verse 35, very early in the morning, he gets up, he leaves, he goes to the woods, he prays. Could he have done it in his house? I'm sure, but Jesus looked up and there's all these fishermen sleeping on the floor in their sleeping bags and, and he knows. He's like, there's no peace in this house. 
Solitude for Jesus was not just a state of mind. It was a physical reality. He goes, I've got to withdraw. <laughs> I've got to get out of the hustle. I've got to get out of the day to, he's like, I've just got to get out of it so I can hear the voice of God. I've told this story like 50 times at Ethos. You're probably sick of hearing it, but I remember when our boys were little, I would take them to the monster truck jam, you know, down at Bridgestone Arena, the most redneck thing we ever do. And, it, and we love it. We don't apologize for it. And, and loudest thing I've ever been to in my life is this, this monster truck rally. Kids are wearing headphones and it's just deafening. And I remember the first time I took my, my second son, Jack, he's like two years old and he's wearing these headphones and he kept looking at me the whole time we were there and he'd try to talk to me. And I'm like, buddy, I can't hear a word you're saying. And so I'd pick him up and we'd walk out of the little arena and we'd get in the, you know, in the concourse and take the headphones off. Okay, now I can hear you. Now I can hear you. And he'd say something, hey, dad, I'm having fun. Can we get popcorn? I'm like, okay. And all throughout that night, every few minutes, we're having to get up and escape the noise. Why? So I could hear his voice. Had to escape the noise to hear the voice. You, you, you see this in the life of Jesus. Intentional, consistent, physical withdrawal in, into the, the secret places to hear the voice of God. I'll give you one more that I see in Jesus' rhythm of solitude uh, is that it was focused it was focused. And maybe for some of us, this is the most difficult thing. <laughs> Look at the end of verse 35. Very early in the morning while it's still dark, he'd get up and he'd go to a solitary place where he would pray. The solitude was not just about getting away from his roommates or from his friends or getting away from the noise and just having a little bit of peace and quiet. He goes, I've got to get away. He goes, so I can focus my time, my attention, my heart on my heavenly father. I remember when I was in high school, our youth group, we'd go on these youth retreats and every spring and every fall. And my least favorite part of every youth retreat was in the morning and the afternoon, we'd do 30 minutes of quiet time. I'm like, oh. For an extrovert, that sounded like punishment. So I'd get my Bible and I'd like walk through the woods. I'd read the shortest Psalm I could find. And then I'd kill 29 minutes until they rang the bell and I could go play kickball, you know? And, and I, I mean, I hated solitude because I was so conditioned to immediate gratification when I'd get alone and I didn't have that immediate gratification, my soul felt like it was withering. <laughs> Focus. Focus. We need the intentional, the consistent, physical withdrawal into the focused place to hear the voice of God again. Guys, busyness and noise is the enemy of intimacy. Busyness and noise is the enemy of intimacy. If you wanna ruin a marriage, just get busy and let your life be crowded with noise where you don't have time to hear each other again, that marriage is toast. You wanna ruin intimacy with your kids, just get them in a million activities and make sure you have no space to hear their heart anymore. You wanna wreck your relationship with God before you even get out of the gates, just crowd every second of every day with noise. Every second, every car ride, podcast and songs. It's like, guys, we're so addicted to noise, we lose the ability to hear the voice. And over and over and over and over and over in Jesus' life, you see him getting away. And he goes, because I need the voice of God again. 
And guys, here's what happens when we start showing up in those quiet places. It, it, we have to press through our addiction to noise. We have to press through our addiction to busyness. But man, when we learn to sit in that space over time, man, we, we get the blessing we get the blessing of God's refreshment. You know, that Matthew 11 blessing, he says, come away with me and your soul will find rest. I mean, over time, you get the blessing of his refreshment. You, you get the blessing of his friendship, kind of that Psalm 63 where David is going, man, Lord, my soul thirsts for you. It pants for you at night. I lay awake in bed and I think about you. I go, have you ever been around somebody that burns so brightly for God, you just want to get close to them and warm your hands up? Guys, that's, that's what you're made for. You weren't made for casual church attendance and morality management. You were made so that your heart and your life could burn on the oil of God's presence so that everyone around you would come near to warm their hands. Happens in solitude. Refreshed, blessed. In solitude, we're led. God says, hey, here's where we're going. Hey, here's what you did yesterday. Here's what I have for you today. Look back at verse 35 real quick. It's so interesting. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Verse 36, then Simon and his companions went off looking for him. This is how every young mom in the room feels when her kids wake up, like, they found me. <laughs> verse 37, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I love this. Jesus replied, now we need to go somewhere else to the nearby villages so we can, I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Guys, how in the world did Jesus have so much clarity about his purpose amidst all the demands of his life? How's that happen? <laughs> you all feel this. I won't make you raise your hand. There are a million people asking you to do a million good things every single day. How do you know which of those things line up with what God has for you? Do you want a good life or do you want God's life? <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to do good things or do you want to be about the things of God? You only discover that in the place of solitude. It's the reason solitude becomes a gift. <laughs> Next week, we're gonna spend the majority of our time going, okay, how do, like, what are practical rhythms of solitude? How do we build that in? We're going there next week. You type A people are going like, what, how do I do this? Next week, that's where we're going. But this morning, I just wanna leave you with two questions as we get ready to walk into communion. Question number one is, how are you, how are you doing when it comes to hearing the voice of God? Like, how's your hearing? How's your hearing? And the second question is, what adjustments do you need to make in your life this week in order to find God in those secret places? What adjustments do you need to make this week in order to find God in the secret place? I love that invitation of Matthew 11. Jesus said, come away with me, come away with me. Your soul will find rest. Sometimes that's literally us like getting out of the house in the morning. I love the story of Susanna Wesley. She had 10 kids that she raised in a one room house where she homeschooled all of them. She ended up raising two kids that started 
one of the greatest revivals in the history of humanity. And they would talk about life with their mom. They'd say every day in the midst of that one room house with 10 kids, she'd put this quilt over her head. And we knew that when the quilt went over mama's head that we didn't talk to her because that was her time with the Lord. <laughs> Guys, for some of you, solitude may be you on the living room floor this week with the quilt over your head. Just going, hey, God, just give me some space to hear you. You don't need a cabin on a snow-capped mountain. That'd be awesome. It may be a cup of coffee in that same chair every single morning, just a few minutes before anybody else wakes up. It may, I was talking to a college student this week. I loved what he said. He goes, he goes I can't turn on the lights in my dorm room. You know, before noon, all my buddies are asleep. I'm like, dude, just soak that in. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> oh, I'd kill for that. <laughs> I was like, so what do you do? He goes, I just go down to the lobby of my dorm room. Uh, down to the lobby of my dorm. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Where's your place? Where's your place? Find your place and make room for God to speak. So I wanna invite you to stand. I'm gonna pray a blessing over you and we're gonna receive communion together here and we're gonna end with a moment of worship and response. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Father, I love, I love you, and man, I just love these people so much. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your spirit. We thank you that you speak to us through your people. Lord, this morning, would you open our ears as we recommit ourselves to you in the secret places? Father, we recognize that the only, the only reason we're even worthy of hearing from the creator of the universe is because Jesus, you, you died on a cross for the sins of humanity. You raised from the dead. And Lord, as we break the bread and as we receive the cup, we are receiving this reality that to hear your voice is a gift. It is a grace. It's not something we earn or deserve. And Lord, we declare we do not wanna treat your voice lightly in our community. And so, Lord, this morning, as we confess our sins, as we search our hearts, as we take the bread and as we receive the cup, Lord, we do this in remembrance of you and we thank you that you have spoken, that you are speaking and that you will speak again. Lord, would you make our hearts soft? Lord, would you give us an awareness this week of where we can prioritize our time with you and would you meet us in the secret places to refresh us? to lead us, to befriend us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.